It's just too hot for this. I am <sighs> so hot. Like, I don't even know what the temperature is. Do we have a temperature for today? Very. All the temperature. Hot enough to melt most people on the British Isles. Yeah. Yeah. Sweaty. And dripping with sweat, we shall do the first episode of Year Two. Yes. Here we go, Year Two. With a brand new... With brand new cats in the house. Meow, 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 meow. Meow. Brand new intro. An actual outro. Yes. Yeah. All, all the, fun the things. Th- all the fun things. Colours. Colours. Yes, yes. Goodbye, blue and grey tone. We Hello, are, other colour. We are colour. Yeah. Replete, I think. And we'll see how that works out in the long term. We will indeed. It's all It's all a new adventure in year two. <laughs> yeah, all of those things that we thought worked forget them forget all of that we're scrapping <laughs> it all we're starting again this is going to be done in the form of a blank verse um, oh god no i can't rhyme joe I can't, i'm not good i'm not good improving look just you can you can speak in iambic pentameter can't you i don't even know what that is shakespeare that's what we're doing no it's just gonna be i don't remember anything about shakespeare apart from i didn't understand it when i took my Shakespeare exam and I don't understand it now. You did a Shakespeare exam? Well, yeah, your paper, your English paper, your Shakespeare. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as the Shakespeare exam before. Oh yeah, the Shakespeare exam, yeah. 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 Mm. I don't know what it taught us. It taught me absolutely naff all about naff all. I took nothing from that. Nothing. Again, it's your love of history and historical <laughs> things that I... <laughs> Hey, he's probably cracking. He probably makes some great, great points, but they're lost on me. I'm sorry. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... Well, are you ready for a quick story from history then? Yeah, I love a quickie. Go on. (laughs) Well, this story was first told in the High Middle Ages don't know when that is well you're looking about the 13th 14th century okay because today we're doing a story about a story wheels within wheels <sighs> now i've got that song stuck in my head well use the energy spinning wheel. yeah the wistful energy use it harness it so i'm ready sorry yeah i'm over now albion was the word that Greek cartographers used to identify the island of Britain at least as far back as 400 BCE. It's thought to be either... Oh, a, we're not before common era ring, 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 We're before ring, common ring, era. Ring, we're it. 400 years before common era. Right. Okay. Mm. It is thought to be either a reference to the god of the Albacy tribe, who was called Albiorix, which translated to king of the land... This is very asterisk and obelix. Well, this is, it was, um, when I say the um, Albisi tribe, they were originally from South Gaul. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. You are you are asterisk and obelix. Oh, in. amazing. Uh, so either king of the land, uh-huh. the god of these South Gaul people, Cute. or a rough translation of the phrase white land in reference to the cliffs that you will see if you attempt to cross the channel at the narrowest point. Of course. 
Mm. I'll be bluebirds. I mean, of the two, apparently, looking through the pros and cons, Mm -hmm. the uh, King of the Land version is probably more likely. However, both explanations, for me, are frankly just too logical and boring. Okay. As ways of explaining the origins of the name. Mm Mm-hmm. Luckily, mm. around the start of the 12th century, Geoffrey mm-hmm. of Monmouth had decided to write his complete history of the kings of Britain. Ooh, remind me again, where is Monmouthshire? Uh, you're in Wales there. I thought so. Uh, although Geoffrey of Monmouth, controversially, couldn't speak Welsh, wasn't a Welshman. Aye. We'll get to why in a bit. Okay. But yeah. It's a, it's a, he's misrepresenting himself. Okay. He is Geoffrey who moved to Monmouth rather than Geoffrey. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's, that's, no, we've lived all over. Well, it's, it's the equivalent of me now calling myself Joseph of Lancaster. I'm not. No. But I could, you know, I don't, I don't even know the language of Lancastrians. No, you don't. No. Um, yes, but he wanted to write his complete history of the kings of Britain, which he called the Historia Regum Britannae. Very good. Mm. Sounds legit. When I say he he wanted to write a complete history, what he really did was uh, borrow heavily from the works of Gildas in the 6th century Mm. and from Bede's 8th century work, The Ecclesiastical History of the English People. He stole it. Uh, He copied and pasted it, a lot like what I do with our stories. He wikied it. The equivalent of Wikipedia bits of it, yeah. (gasps) That's terrible. But even with stealing heavily from these two historical sources, Mm. um, there were quite a few big gaps that needed filling. Okay, right. Yeah. Well, we've been through the Dark Ages there, so, yeah. That means nothing to me. Okay, so... Were they smelly and dark? Well, basically, there were big gaps in the history that the other two didn't feel the need to fill in because they didn't have the information to hand. Okay. Uh, But because he wanted it to be the complete... Mm. History of the Kings of Britain. Mm-hmm. He felt, well, those bits do need filling in. What made the Dark Ages dark? In terms of, what, for the British? Why? Why were they called the Dark Ages? They were called the Dark Ages because um, the Romans pulled out of England okay. and Britain in general. And there was a bit of a power vacuum. And it was just a very frenetic time where there were lots of wars and there were lots of people who wanted to try and take power. Okay. And in those situations, there's not a lot of people having the time or the you know freedom to just write everything down okay cute okay mm. i know now um i think it's chris from history corner who said there's only like four primary sources that cover really yeah like a couple of hundred year span wow it's something ridiculous like that that are considered Gosh. true sources um wow you know for like first-hand accounts because mm. that's how that's how fractious the time was wow okay mm. But Geoffrey of Monmouth, mm-hmm. faced with these massive gaps, mm. he decided, well, you don't have facts, you can have imagination. <gasps> Amazing. Yes, yeah. that is like a giant blank canvas for your own agenda to be writ large. I'd like to think that's what Terry Pratchett would do. Yes, the difference is Terry Pratchett was quite clear that he was a fiction author. <laughs> Yes. He did not seek to be... uh, No, 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 no. I'm just saying, and he'd probably make a damn good job of it as well. But figuring that if he was going to make stuff up anyway, Mm -hmm. he may as well do it in such a way to support the claims of the recent Norman invaders. Right. Because when I said he wasn't from uh, Monmouth, 
both his parents were from Brittany, which is the next region over to mm-hmm. Normandy in, you know, northwest yeah. France. So he had a vested interest in, you know, skewing the history to say, well, do you know when um, people come across from the northern regions of France? Mm. Yeah, that that's this historical precedent there. Wow. Good things happen. So, oh, gosh, right, okay. You know, to write it like, well, this isn't, um, you know, a person conquering a country and William the Conqueror. This is somebody taking back what was rightfully his. Mm. So it's a bit of a propaganda kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So accordingly, in his history, the British people request that the King of Brittany, Aldrionus, mm-hmm. pop over to rule them once the Romans cleared out. Right. But because he was busy leading the North French peoples, uh-huh. you know, you, it's, it's difficult, as I think numerous British monarchs have shown, to, to hold um, sort of properties on the continent and to hold Britain. If I'm going to be horrendously sexist here, men can't multitask. Well, I mean, kings can't multi-govern, it seems. Okay. Um, but he sent his brother Constantine instead, who... would you believe, turned out to be the grandfather of King Arthur himself. Did he? He of the round table. In this history, definitely, yep. This, this... I thought Constantine was something to do with vampires. Okay, well, there's a lot of fan fiction involved here, but basically (laughs) it was written to say, you know that person who's considered a a British hero, Mm -hmm. the most quintessential British king? Mm. Yeah, it turns out he was French. Um, right. And, oh, you know, I see. Oh, So really, if you like him, you like French kings. Yes, and he just so happened in this telling of the story to usher in a reign of peace and prosperity. So the, okay. the implied notion is, so long as you knuckle down under William and his progeny, mm-hmm. um, we could see similar peace and prosperity. Okay. All you need to do is bend the knee. Gosh. He also... Mm because this was the end of the book. He ended it sort of just after Arthur's mm. time. So he had a big finish. Mm-hmm. But he also decided he needed to embellish the start of the book to hook readers in. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you don't get them in the first 10 pages, they're gone. They're off reading Bede and his ecclesiastical history because... Oof. Wow. Yeah. So he created a direct link to Greek myth to give more authority to the line of kings that he goes on to describe. Right, he's, he's drawing some for some. Blah, 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 put my teeth back in. He's drawing some for. Some, what is wrong with me? He's drawing for some pretty heavy material there. Then. Oh yeah, he went straight back to the Iliad here. Jesus Christ. Um, Not so, quite, but yeah. <laughs> he's got the Arthurian myth in there. So he thinks, yeah. what else can? What other nations' mythology can I use? Ah, the Greeks. We like them. We've mentioned the Romans in Constantine. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just bastardise Yeah, let's just else. take the Greeks as well. Uh, so, yeah, he linked to the Iliad, which is the story of the fall of Troy. Okay. Yeah. The horse. The Trojan horse, yes. But okay. Troy was a city. Yes, I know. Where the Trojans lived. Yes. Yeah. They got in the horse. No, the Greeks got in the horse in order to infiltrate the Trojan city. And then they climbed out of the horse. And I thought it because it, it was it's called the Trojan horse. So I thought it was the Trojans that got in the horse. No, no, the Greeks. Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. You know the uh, saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but he did it. He took up the story afterwards. Okay. So Troy's fallen. Yeah. He suggested that Britain was founded by the grandson of the classical hero Aeneas after he was banished from Italy 
for killing both of his parents. This is um, the grandson, Brutus. Right, okay, he's... I mean, this is a lot of people that we're now mentioning here. He is just... No, he name-checks Aeneas because he's a famous, you know, from antiquity. He's a name everyone will know and goes, well, his grandson, Brutus, uh, after killing his mum and his dad, so that's patricide and matricide, it's a way to start your career. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to be your hero as well. So having killed his dad and his mum, he's going to be your hero, Brutus. But he gets exiled from Italy where the Trojans have been living in exile, yeah? So he's been exiled from exile. Right. Not a good start. No. Now, Brutus eventually, through many adventures, arrives at the Isle of Albion. England. Albion. England. No. At this point, it's the Isle of Albion. England. England. Nah, nah. You are not an English football fan. I'm not at all, no. no. So should we just stick with Albion for the moment? Nah, nah. Um... And what do you find in Albion? I don't know. Giants, obviously. What? Yep. No. Brutus and his men go about killing some giants who were living in Albion at the time. Where? Well, if if you believe this account, the Dorset coast. No, sorry, the Devonshire coast. Um, the giants of Devonshire. Uh, is it Dorset or Devonshire? Let's have well, a look. Let's just have a little look, CC. Uh, um, specifically, Totnes in Devon. Oh, I've been to Totnes. Well, you've been where the giants were hanging out. Okay. Uh, this is a long time ago, obviously, but <laughs> it wasn't last week. So, Brutus arrives at Totnes, uh-huh. finds some giants hanging out. Enjoying okay. the sunshine. Do we have names of the giants? We don't have names of a lot of them. Uh, and it doesn't really matter because he kills them all. Of course he does. And deciding that no one else is living on this island except for this one small group of giants, yeah. uh, he renames it Britannia in his own honour uh, and becomes the first British king. What? Yep. And that's how the reigns of kings of Britain started with Brutus, grandson of Aeneas, killing giants. Um, no. Hmm. Which... You've got to admit, though... A ballsy move. Yeah, and it's a much more juicy origin story for the name Britannia than the fact that it was just an evolution of what the indigenous people called it, which is Britanni, translated as Land of the Tattooed Folk. Interesting. Mm. Okay. So it started out as Britannia's just a bastardization of something that Celtic yeah. people used. Yeah. Um, but no, 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 that's that's too boring mm-hmm. as, a, as an origin. So. No, Brutus came over, he killed some giants Hmm. and named it britannia yes wow this book the history Mm. was accepted as a factual description of the kings of britain for almost 400 years and although it did have some critics not as many as you'd think and it was an incredibly popular book as well people used to use it as a historical source to sort of posit their own theories Right, I'm not being funny, but, you know, people say nowadays, you know, kind of like false fact and all the rest of it. This is like just time immemorial, isn't it, really? That, you know, people have been spouting false fact and (laughs) squaring, swearing black is white, that it's true. Well, people will always have an agenda. And in this case, it seems Jeffrey and Monmouth's agenda was... I want to legitimise the current regime mm-hmm. by pointing to historical precedent that didn't actually exist. 
to kind of explain why this is a divine right, why this should be happening. Right. Uh, and people okay. people went with it. It was an engaging read. It was definitely more exciting than a factual history would have been yes, because it because had it giants. Is a, it is a story. I'm surprised it doesn't have mm. pictures. But as we all know, if you write some popular fiction, yes, <laughs> what's going to eventually happen? Somebody's going to debunk it. No. Oh, even better than that. The joy, the unbridled joy that is fan fiction. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. For every person who's written a bit of Harry Potter fan fiction, oh you're not the first because it was going on at least 700 years ago. Oh, God, and you won't be the last. There's fan. You can fan fiction, Google search, anything. Yeah. Anything and everything. Yeah. In this case, the question that people wanted to answer with their fan fiction, they began asking, how the hell did the giants get there? <laughs> and where did the original name Albion come from? You've explained why it was eventually called Britannia. Where, where did Albion come from? Mm. Yeah? We've got an Albion, we've got a couple of Albion football clubs, haven't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, West Bromwich Albion being probably the, the uh-huh. highest ranked one. Yeah. Is there a Scottish Albion? Burton Albion. Yeah. Yeah. So the eventual story that was crafted mm. over time by oh, all um, of these different fan fiction writers... You spin me that yarn. Um, to act as a prequel, obviously. Obviously. Became an epic legend in its own right. Oh and it is God. this legend that we will be discussing today. And by discussing, I mean I'm going to paraphrase the entire thing for you and we're going to see what you think. Okay. Okay? So... I'm settled in. Let's jump in. Yeah. The origin story is credited as being told to Brutus and the Trojans by the last of the giants of Albion with the amazing name Gogmagog. Okay, I've heard that before. Mm. Why have I heard that before? Well, he was he was the only named giant Gogmagog. So there you go. Is there something in Top Ness? Possibly. For Gogmagog. Hmm. That name is like ringing a bell and not just like a little tinkle-linkle-linkle-linkle bell. It's like a great big ship's bell. Well, I quite like the name Gogmagog, it's fun to mm-hmm. say. And he says that his story, that he's telling to the Trojans, began exactly 3,970 years after the world began. Right, this so is had just... a very, very definite date for the start of, of the world. Okay. And I'm guessing this is um, the kind of Christian idea of and God created the world here. Yes. And exactly 3,970 years later... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yep, come yep. into our story. Yeah. In a country... Now, either Greece or Syria seem to be the best bets for okay. what this country actually was. There ruled a very powerful king. Probably. As opposed to all of those very ineffectual kings that were well, knocking around at the time. there's been plenty of them, and mostly British. This king, surprising nobody, mm. was the head of a strict patriarchal state... Of course. So. Death to the patriarchy. With that in mind, he must have been a bit miffed when, despite his best efforts, and he did try, as you'll find, he ended up with 30 daughters. Hmm. <laughs> oh, and well. probably one very, very tired wife. Oh, I, I imagine it's one of those, he had a harem well, type scenario. We're talking ancient times, Joe. Yeah. Time, monogamy didn't exist. Well, 
they, these are legitimate daughters, as far as I know. He may have had many bastard children, but these are the legitimate yeah, ones. Yeah, I know, which but makes you might... think that they would have come from the the queen. Yeah, but he might have more than one. What, queen. More than one? Well, it wasn't it wasn't alluded to in the story. Okay, but if you imagine that you know they got married young, and that she started having children at fifteen. Yep, that would still have had her at forty five. Jesus Christ! If she had a child a year, yeah, and even back in the Middle Ages when this story was written, mm. you know childbearing over the age of 35 was an incredibly dangerous thing to do it was it was and i wonder whether any of those pregnancies were um multiples oh do you know i never considered that yeah i I was thinking 30 separate ones she might have been octomum three times over and then just filled in the blanks yeah aye well definitely she's that's even more dangerous Mm. yeah well, either way, she did well to get to the end oh, of 30 pfft. daughters. Although she's never mentioned again, so maybe... Oh, God. Uh, maybe that was it. Maybe that's why I stopped at 30, bless her. Um, Death nail ringeth. The eldest, tallest, mm. and most influential of these was named Albina. Albina. Strong name. <laughs> Princess Albina. Now, the king waited until all 30 of his daughters were of marrying age which would make Albina at least, well, even if we're being very, very generous, 42, mm-hmm. 43. Mm-hmm. Um, then he married the lot of them off to the most powerful men in neighbouring kingdoms in a kind of diplomatic fire sale. Like, oh everyone God. gets a daughter, everyone gets a princess, and then you're all part of my extended family. You all can't, you know, my power is secure. Jesus. Right. That is one. I mean, I it didn't That's say a- again... Oh. If it was like one wedding at a time or if it was just a bit like, you know, right, get them all here. A car boot. Yeah, you can all have a you can all have a bride. We're just That's gonna do ridiculous. a group wedding. I mean considering that this is all made up crock of bullshit, mm. this is a ballsy story. Yeah. That he's making up from nothing. Well, no, this isn't Jeffrey of Monmouth. This is various unnamed authors this is fan oh, fiction yes i know i know this is but somebody will have made this up so well, this, this is, is it one, up, one upmanship he he had a he probably started off having a daughter called albina and then it was like no why didn't he have 30 daughters yeah <laughs> two i'll raise you four yeah. i'll raise you again <laughs> god yeah so all 30 married uh-huh and amazingly the daughters weren't too happy with this arrangement. They never are. Well, would you I would, be? No. You're just... I mean, even though it was a time when marrying for political advantage amongst the upper classes, the you know, the nobility was quite normal, mm. you know, there's there's been devalued in a way that society, society kind of accepts and there's been devalued in, to the point where you're just one of 30 being mm. handed out like a party favour. Led by Albina, mm-hmm. strongest willed, tallest, yeah, Mm-hmm. Uh, they all vowed that they would do something about it. And as right. I assume over glasses of wine, complaining about their new husbands, mm-hmm. they decided the best thing to do would be to murder the whole lot of them at wow. the same time on the same night. Okay, so I'm guessing because it's... If if they're actually going to do their fan fiction properly... Mm. Sorry, I just hit the mic there. Um, I'm, I'm guessing poisoning... Oh, no, no, they were going to stab them. Jesus. Yeah. This was knives out, ladies. We're making a point. Literally. That's not... So the idea okay. was they would all go back to their separate kingdoms with their new kings and princes and whatever, and then uh-huh. on a prearranged night at a prearranged time, they'd stab their husbands in their sleep. 
as a very, very unsubtle way of letting their dad know they weren't happy about being used as political pawns. I'm not being funny, but I mean, this story's not holding up. I mean, what if what if one of them's out with the mate? What if one of them has got the shits, the screaming shits, and he's up all night, and you can't stab him in the sleep? You know what I mean? This nah, nah. They'll have something going on. Not you're not going to get all thirty husbands. Asleep at yeah, the but same time. I'm guessing time. there will be a little bit of leeway because you know messages aren't going to be sent that quickly. As long as you stab them around that time, you'll be right. Because again, timekeeping wasn't. I'm guessing you know there's only been less than four thousand years of recorded history. I don't think they've got the mechanics of um, timekeeping quite perfect yet. It will be we're all going to stab on this night ish. Okay, but they yeah they were quite. I thought they were quite good. I thought like. Um, you know, timekeeping was one of the the oldest forms of recording days and stuff. Yeah, but we're we're predating classical Greek society by thousands of years here. All right, okay. aren't we? Okay. Well, I don't know. We we are. Okay. We're only three. The world's less than four thousand years old. Joe, I don't know. I'm very hot. Good. Now, while twenty eight of her sisters were fully behind Albina's plan. The younger sister actually quite liked her new husband. Oh, no. Or at least she definitely didn't hate him enough to stab him in cold blood. Okay. There's quite a, a big, you know, margin of error there, isn't there? Um, Sometimes where I quite dislike you, to be honest. But you've never got to the point where you'd stab me in cold blood. Not yet. Okay. But she was also worried that if she refused to sign up to the group Mariticide, which mm. is the murder of your husband's mm-hmm. or spouse then she would herself be the victim of sororicide, which is the oh. murdering of a sister. Oh, my lord. Yeah. She returned home. She didn't know what to do. But her new husband, who was apparently quite attentive, yeah. he picked up on the fact that she appeared a bit out of sorts. Oh. He asked if there was something he'd done or not done, or if there was something he could do to make it better. Come on, just give me a clue. I just... I need to know. I'll take the bins out. I will. I can just imagine her muttering under a a breath. (sighs) I'm fine. I'm fine. Eventually, under the weight of his gentle, concerned questioning, Mm. she broke down and she told him about the entire plot. Weak. (laughs) He then said he'd sort it. And by sort it, he meant he'd take her to see her dad, the king, uh, and tell her that he, you know, needed to know. Mm -hmm. And that she had to tell the king everything. Oh, wow. Which she did. Okay. Obviously, the king saw that this could... It could cause a bit of a diplomatic incident for him. Is he dischuffed? Well, if they'd gone through with the plan, it would lead to most every kingdom in the local area suddenly declaring war on him. Uh, So the king summoned his other 29 daughters and their husbands to his court. Urgently. He wanted to make sure the husbands were still around to arrive. Mm-hmm. Once they were all there, and he had a quick check to make sure, you know, head count of the husbands, he revealed the plot dramatically. Poirot style. Uh, maybe. Hopefully. I hope so. Uh, the husbands reacted with what I imagine was various levels of shock. You'd have the ones who were completely outraged <laughs> and the other ones who were like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wasn't being paranoid. She was sharpening yeah, that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it. It's not normal to take a grindstone to bed. <laughs> Damn. 
the King's Daughters, they doubled down and said they didn't feel a single bit of guilt for what they were going to do. Wow. Uh, even when their father interviewed them one by one to let them know he wasn't angry. He was just disappointed. Oh, he was the worst kind of disappointed. <gasps> no. Uh, he was he was disappointed specifically that they were trying to undermine daddy's established patriarchal society. Isn't that what daughters do best? Mm. Well, to be fair to him, he thought, I'm too close to this. Even though I'm king, I, I can't get involved mm-hmm. in in sorting this out. Okay. So he put them on trial. He he disavowed himself. I, I, I can't get involved. You're going to have a trial of um, neutral people. And in this case, it was all of his nobles who also had a vested interest in maintaining the patriarchal society. <sighs> Most men do. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, when you take that and the fact that they had confessed... Um, when confronted yeah. with the plot and said that they were happy they that they planned remorseful. to do it. They weren't that remorseful. No. They were found guilty. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, when you when you confess, it's quite hard to not be found when guilty. When you weigh your top, I mean, all things being fair. Yeah. And they were sentenced to? Uh, hanging. No. Stoning. No. Being burnt alive for No, witches. no, they were, they were only sentenced, first offence, exile. Okay. Because technically, all they'd done is imagine killing someone. They hadn't actually well, gone through it. they hadn't actually it. done it, no. no. So no one had actually died, so exile. Okay. A ship was made ready on the coast to take the 29 naughty girls <laughs> away. Girl. Are they going to naughty girls' school? They're going to naughty girls' school. They're going to be taken away forever. Though, when I say ship, it didn't have a mast. It didn't have oars. It didn't have a rudder. So it's more like a, a floating platform than a than a ship. Oh my God, it's a raft. Yeah, it also wasn't stocked with any food or any water. A death raft. Yeah. <laughs> Leading me to think that when I say exile, it was more slow execution. Yeah. Uh, the ship was towed out into the sea um, to catch the currents uh, and the women on board were taken by the wind to wherever fate decreed. That was basically it. So Wow. They were towed out and then someone waved them off, went, good luck. It's not too bad. At least we didn't kill you. Best of British, but not yet. (laughs) Just when they thought they were about to die of thirst and starvation, a massive storm blew up and death by drowning immediately became the bookie's favourite. All the 29 women could do was curl up together in the middle of their raft and wait for the end. (laughs) Like a pile of cats. Yeah. Chicken on a raft. Chicken on a raft. No. Oh, no. Hi-ho, chicken on a raft. Chicken on a raft on a Sunday morning. Instead of killing them, though, the storm blew them a great distance before running them aground on a shore with no name. Dum, dum, dum. Although, technically, if you've been set adrift on a raft, no matter where you land... For you, it's going to be a shore with a no shore name, isn't with it? No name. Now, if you put me on a raft now and I rocked up in Calais because I'd, you know, somehow been blown around yeah, the coast, you wouldn't know it was Calais. It would, to me, it like would be like a Hollywood sign. When I stuck on landed, the edge, it would like, definitely Calais. be a shore with no name. Yep, definitely. Um, Albina, of course, because she is the oldest and the most headstrong. She led the way mm-hmm. in disembarking and immediately found fresh water, fruits and nuts, which they could eat. Which Fabulous. I, it yeah. sounds like a utopia. Yeah. Once they were strong enough, once they'd recovered a little bit, mm. 
they began looking for signs of other humans. Reasoning, not mm. unreasonably, that, you know, there's fresh water, there's food. Mm-hmm. Someone's bound to be living here. It's too good not to live here. Mm-hmm. But they found no trace. What? Not a footprint, no signs of smoke on the horizon, no signs of buildings anywhere. It was pure, virgin, untouched land. Nah, nah, this, this story's got stupid now. Albina tried to put a positive spin on things by yep. saying that at least they could live out their days without starving. Adding that as she was the oldest, the island should be named after her as Albion and that she was the chief and supreme commander, so there. <laughs> no takes you back to his and proper dibs. I was first. On, yeah. I, my foot touched first. Yeah. Therefore... Oh, it's like it's like when you're on holiday and you rush to get a bedroom. Mm. Dibs. Well, she dibs it. She dibs the entirety of the British Isles. Okay. It's a big dib. Mm. Over time, they began hunting game and farming the land, yeah. learning as they went to make weapons, buildings and clothing as needed. God, they were good, weren't they? But... This tribe of women. Yeah. When they'd achieved a certain level of comfort, you know, once you've got your basic needs met, you start thinking about those higher needs. And for them... <laughs> Rumpy. Yes, they began to experience a longing for male companionship. Right, you can tell this is written by a man. Go on. Yes, because how can a woman's life truly be complete without a man? However, although there were no humans on the island, so definitely no human men, Mm. there were male beings present in Albion. Right. Incubi, the male version of an incubus, a sex demon. These spirits had been watching the women since they had arrived and were now drawing strength from their lusty thoughts and naughty dreams doing what they could to influence the former princesses into even greater feelings of passion in order to feed. Wow. Mm. This is taking a very bizarre turn now, this fiction. Isn't it just? Well, you know, they'd kind of painted themselves into a corner. Um, so they needed needed some plot device to, to continue we the story. We need some it, guys. We're just going to have to go balls to the wall on this one. Well, they got to this point and they're like, I'm going right. to have to steal you some of your water. I'm literally, I'm literally dying now. Mm. It's so hot. Well, they got they got to this point and they thought, wait a minute, we need to get to giants at the end of this. Mm-hmm. We've got this. We've got this. These twenty nine women trapped on There's a deserted 29. island, and somehow we've got to get to giants. Therefore, sex demons. Sex demons were going to rumpy some giants. Well, eventually, the incubi were strong enough that they were able to begin invading the dreams of Albina and her sisters. Oh, my God. Appearing as handsome men. Strange and handsome men. Yes. And seducing them into naughty dream sex. (laughs) God. Each of the sisters got their own dream lover, but they were unaware that it was anything other than their own subconscious yearnings and... I'm guessing they didn't talk about it uh, amongst themselves while out hunting this for rabbits gone, or like, whatever. Borderline alien abduction stories now. Well, they were just like you know, I'm projecting my my want of a man into mm. my dreams. No harm of it. That was, of course, until they started falling pregnant. Right. And what do you get when an exiled princess and a lust demon, allied to Satan no less, have a baby? I'm getting a giant. Yeah, of course you do. You get giants. Right, okay. Which, I mean, I don't know if they become giants after. If it's do like they, they come out giants. Yes, or is it that Jesus they grow Christ. rapidly from quite a small size? Because otherwise, I'm imagining we only got 29 giants. 
and that was that was the end of albina and the sisters because they don't get mentioned again that's kind of the end of their story arc is maybe the giants like burst forth alien style yeah literally (laughs) ripping the princesses in two this has taken a disgusting turn for the worse Mm. now well whether whether the giants um, were born in a very explodey kind of way Mm -hmm. or whether you know it was just a normal pregnancy and they were able to go on having lusty incubi giant children Mm -hmm. the giant children began to multiply and they ruled albion for thousands of years how did they multiply like lemmings well i'm guessing that some of the giant children were men and some of the giant (laughs) children were ladies and then when they got to a certain age they began growing fuzzy hair (laughs) all over the downstairs regions and getting some interesting and warm fuzzy feelings yeah Mm. and unlike their mothers they had somebody to uh you know to engage in those experiences with in real life not just in dreams wow yeah luckily though for brutus and his men because you're thinking an entire nation Mm -hmm. of giants that'd be difficult yeah even for trained trojans even for brutus yeah brutus and his men they could probably take on what two dozen giants if that okay well i mean is there is there a height do we have a height for these giants um, talking eight foot plus so they're pretty big jesus and i'm assuming proportionate strength as well so pretty beefy i was gonna say because because like if you if you look back in recorded history um of life life of who we we would consider now giants Mm -hmm. they have a lot of um health issues yes struggles there it's the proportionate size of the heart um, mm. and the inability to pump it around such a large mm. frame. But yeah. that's because it's... An, and they have, like, muscle wastage. Mm. But that's because they're not... Although they're giants, they're not true giants. They're like an outlier to what the human form can achieve. Right, okay. What we've got here is something that would be designed with the circulatory system mm-hmm. to support that size. Wow. You know, that would be the average size rather than Ooh. them being outliers. I doubt they have problem with them... <laughs> you know peripheral neuropathy due to mm-hmm. bad circulation otherwise they'd probably be easy to beat i'm just saying they can't they can't actually overstrain themselves because they just end up stroking out immediately <laughs> oh, no. oh no i have to spend a lot of time lying down yeah don't want to overstress it but luckily for brutus we'll get back to brutus shortly before he'd arrived yeah the giants had been engaging in a massive civil war right multiple factions have been murdering each other to the point where Gog Magog's decimated tribe were the last one standing. They right. were the last 24 giants of Albion. So we've gone from an entire nation mm-hmm. down to... 24. 24. Unlikely, no. I mean... Or at least they had been. Because as soon as Brutus and his gang arrived in Devon, presumably while the remaining giants were enjoying a well-deserved holiday, mm-hmm. having won the Civil War... At minimal cost. On the Devonshire coast. Yeah. Dibbling the toes. Well, they really have the run of the beaches. I mean, you're not going to get overwhelmed, are you? Even at eight foot. Mm -hmm. Um, They promptly murdered the other 23, leaving Gog Magog as the last of his race. Wow. The spot at which Brutus first set foot in Britain is now marked by a stone in Totnes, inventively called Brutus's Stone. Okay. Mm. So to mark, I'm going to Google all this. So. To mark the place where Brutus first stepped on before committing genocide, yeah. there's now a nice stone. Okay. And even after Gog well, Magog... To be fair, in America, there's Plymouth Rock, and that's pretty much the same mm. thing, isn't it? <laughs> but after telling his very sad story, Gog Magog wasn't able to get any sympathy from the Trojans. 
It turns out he'd been identified as the biggest of the giants, and he'd only been spared as Brutus knew that his best friend, Corinius, mm. would love to be able to best Gog Magog in a single combat to the death. Right. So he kept him as a present for his mates. Oh, Look, God. I saved you one. And it's the biggest one. Yeah. And you can have him all to yourself. Oh, no. To be fair to Gog Magog, he could see that no matter what the outcome of his one-on-one fight, he would be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after finishing his story, he politely asked if they could just get on with it. They did, and Gog Magog died. Right. The only remnants of the giant's culture being the massive stone circles that can still be seen throughout the British Isles to this day. Right. Stonehenge. Giants. Giants what? House. A giant's house? Possibly. Are you going to tell me they're little tables? It's their picnic area. No, but this was this was the explanation. This is bullshit. And this is how they tied it in, because obviously people didn't know how Stonehenge had got there. So people went, it makes sense. Yes. Fucking giants. Right. Having killed the last descendants of Albina and her sisters, uh-huh. Brutus decided he may as well take a leaf from her book and name the entire island after himself because he put his foot on it first. So it became Britannia and later simply Britain, as it remains to this day. Right. Brutus then founded London and eventually, learning nothing from the giants regarding the danger of warring factions, yeah. divided the country between his three sons, giving what is now England to his oldest son, Lacrinus, mm-hmm. Scotland to his middle son, Albanicatus, Mm-hmm. and Wales to his youngest son, Camber. Mm. Oh. This would eventually lead to the weakening of the Trojan people in Britain and their eventual conquest. Right. Again, this addition to the story that Geoffrey of Monmouth created can be read as further conservative propaganda. Yeah. With the main message being that infighting amongst the British people, whoever they are at the time, inevitably leads to invasion and death. Uh-huh. So in you know, the Middle Ages, when there was lots of warring with continental powers, it was, we better all pull together and do what the king says. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Oh, you can see why the story was there. Yeah, for sure. The next genocide could be your own. Could be. Yes. (laughs) It's you. Um, As well, obviously. This is God. With the extra bonus bit of conservative propaganda that people who rebel against established patriarchal societies will literally be mind-raped by the servants of Satan and forced to birth giants. Amazing. So, you better not question. Don't question. Don't question the patriarchy or you will succumb to the incubi and explode giving birth to an eight-foot beast. Oh my god. Yep. What a story. It is. Can you get this in like a nice bound book to read and flick through? I'm sure you can get... Uh, this is just like, it's like the most amazing fairy tale. It's amazing. I know, but it was accepted. I know it was accepted. historical fact I know it was well. accepted. That's what you said. But like, I just think for like a story for story's sake, what an amazing story. Hmm. I like a story. Good. Well, that unfortunately is all it is. I have to admit is. that... Do you know, some of these things have now been debunked. Jesus. Yeah. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Wow. I mean, the, the society that the um, king was likely part of, Yeah. they've been in situ, just as a, a starter in the Assyrian civilization. Mm-hmm. If you take the dates that were given, if you work your way back to when the start of the world was, that civilization had already been in situ 10,000 years before the start of the world. 
So wow. there's a bit of a, an issue there oh, in terms she, of timings. Just a, a wee snag, a snaggeroonie, um, if you will. We've never found any giant bones. No. But when people started finding dinosaur bones, the first thoughts that they had, oh. still a throwback to this. Yeah. Oh, I found a giant bone. I've <gasps> proven this story. Wow. Mm. So, you know. But it turns out they were just giant thunder lizards. <laughs> Which is, you know, much more historically accurate. Yeah. Um, of course, though, we now know, because we know why Stonehenge is here now. We know where it came from. Aliens. Yes. Because the British Isles were literally inhabited by space aliens who developed Stonehenge as an interstellar landing pad. At least if you believe the work of Swiss author Eric von Däniken, who, like Geoffrey of Monmouth before him, filled in the bits of history he didn't know with the contents of his own imagination. Amazing. And again, like Geoffrey of Monmouth, managed to sell a lot of books. <laughs> In Eric's case, over 63 million at the current count. Wow. Aye. And there, is an, there was an entire movement around this idea of... Um, Rather than aliens sort of in the modern time, that aliens all existed in the classical era. Um, you know, right. so they, they turned up... Um, at the very dawning of civilization, and it mm -hmm. was the the aliens' input at those early years that right. sort of set us on the course. I see. I mean, obviously, again, no, no, no. Stone no. Stonehenge is not, you know, an an alien landing no. pad. No, because you know the druids would have noticed at least one time. <laughs> yeah. Unless the druids are in in with the aliens, maybe they are. Maybe it's all the naked dancing. Who knows. Well, the aliens do like... Naked dancing. Well, just naked humans. If you read any abduction stories, mm. the first thing they want to do is... Uh, strip you off. Strip you off and have a good look at that. Yeah, put you in a tank. Yeah. Always in a tank. I always thought it's a cold metal table. No, I always see it as like a, a bubbly tank filled with fluid. And you have like a breathing tube. That's how I see it. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, when you're when one of us is inevitably um, abducted by an alien, yeah. we'll, we'll compare notes we on will. what was right. We will. But yeah, that we started year year two with what was literally a made up story. So I love it. I love it's it. It's a good start to our historical podcast. Second Hooray! year, lies, all lies. However, it just goes to show yeah. that, and I think this is this is a very extreme version with Jeffrey and Monmouth, but mm. all historical you know, sources can be interpreted mm -hmm. through whatever lens you want. Yeah. And this is a very extreme example, but everything that you read, you've got to look at who was the author. Absolutely. When was it written? Who yes. was the intended audience? Yes. And use that as much as, you know, the facts that they're purporting to have to yeah. decide how how much credence you should give to, to the source. But yeah, there's Geoffrey of Monmouth for you. Very good. Not a Welshman. Not a Welshman. But a good teller of stories. A spinner of yarns. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing that was mentioned in Geoffrey of Monmouth's book. Go on. The story of Hengist and Horsa and Vortigern. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was the one who spanned that one. Legend. Again, talking about um, spinning history. Yes. The implication there was that Anglo-Saxons, because it was Hengist and Horsa, were invited over to overthrow the... Um, kings of Brittany mm -hmm. Anglo-Saxons are mistrustful and now that William's come over and defeated the last Anglo-Saxon king mm. that time of 
you know, um, interwar strife, the time of the Seven Kingdoms when everyone was fighting everyone. That's all over now because we're back to what God decreed there should be, which was North French people, Northern France Mm. ruling Britain. So that every single bit of it, there were layers Mm. where it wasn't quite as overt as you'd think, but by the time you got to the end of it, it was like, oh, aren't we lucky? Mm. Aren't we lucky that we're back to being ruled by... Yeah, this group of people who obviously you know are going to bring peace and prosperity. Very. Good. I'm happy to slave on the. No, actually, no, the slaves, the serfs weren't going to read these books. No, I'm happy to be a noble with a, a le, you know liege lord from France because I know that I'm going to have to do a lot less fighting and I can spend a lot more time carousing, jousting, hunting, wenching. Everyone needs a good wench. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.